Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. We want to look in Mark chapter 10 today, and so if you'll turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, and I'll begin in verse 17. A little bit later, we're actually doing something a little bit different today. We're going to just kind of take this section bit by bit. It is a little bit of a longer passage. Um, but, uh, you know, because I've, I've had the hernia issue now for several months, I haven't been able to do uh, sport that I, I enjoy. You know, obviously, I don't look like I do a lot of sports, and I don't. Uh, but one thing that I do like to do is go out and play disc golf. I love going out and playing disc golf. Now, I don't like going out playing regular golf because, frankly, trying to hit that stupid little white ball in that hole makes me lose my salt and light. Would be, that would be the understatement of the year. Um, I do get salty, but not in the right way. Uh, you know, I get salty in the wrong way when I'm out there on that course, but I, I don't get that way as much uh, playing disc golf. You know, and, and disc golf, if you don't know what disc golf is, disc golf is like regular golf, but instead of hitting that little white ball into a hole, you have this disc, and you're trying to throw these discs and make it into uh, a, a basket. And uh, I've, I've played at several parks here. I'm just glad that the Huntsville area has several parks to, to play in. And uh, just, I've been disappointed. I haven't been able to play th this year, uh, but next year comes spring. Uh, hopefully I'll be back in shape to be able to do that. Um, you know, it, it is somewhat relatively new, and, you know, the, 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 those who, who invented it and who kind of formed the rules and, and uh, set it up and set the standards, it, it's now called the Professional Disc Golfers Association, the PDGA, and they're the ones that kind of invented it, and then they set the standards and the rules to, to play uh, disc golf, and so if you want to claim that you're actually playing disc golf, I mean, you've got to follow the rules. They're the ones that invented it. They're the ones that made it up. If you want to say, I'm playing disc golf, okay, well, here's how you do it. They're the ones who determine the rules. But suppose that there were four people who went out to play disc golf, and player one, he thinks that he knows better than the PDGA, and so he just, you know, he's just going to do what he wants to do. So, like, you know, there's this rule that you, you throw the disc, and before you throw your next disc, I mean, you're supposed to be standing behind the disc, a few centimeters behind it, before you'd make your next throw. Well, player one says, oh, you know what I'm going to do? Instead of standing behind the disc, I'm actually going to go five feet closer to the basket and throw from there, because that's just what I want to do. And then player two, you know, he doesn't really care for the association's rules either, and so he decides that, uh, you know, instead of the disc actually having to land in the basket, um, you know, if the disc lands somewhere within, say, 10 to 20 feet of the basket, it counts as, as, as being in. And then, you know, players three and four, they, they say, no, there's no out of bounds. We're not going to take penalties. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're going to play by our own rules. Well, if they're playing by their own rules, can they actually say that they're playing disc golf? Or are they just making a, playing a game that they made up all on their own? Because if you change the rules and make the rules up as you go along, can you really claim you're playing disc golf because the standard has been set. The rules have been set what it means to play disc golf. And you can't say you're really playing disc golf if you say, well, I'm just going to make up my own rules. Now, obviously, I'm not preaching about disc golf today. Although it's fun, I'd encourage all of you to take up disc golf if you wanted to. But I, I'm, not, it, I'm using that as a metaphor. Because today, 
It's Sunday. There are people all around the world sitting in pews just like you are. And they claim to be Christians, and they claim to want to follow Christianity, and yet they're making up their own rules, so to speak. They make up their own rules, what Christianity is all about. There are people who want the benefits of Christianity, and you can read in between the lines there, they want the fire insurance. But they want Christianity to fit their own liking. They want Christianity to fit what they want it to fit, and what they want it to mean, and what they want, want to believe, and, and such. You know, in a matter of speaking, they're making up their own rules of what it means to be a Christian. And then they think, well, you know what, as long as I'm following my own rules of what it means to be a Christian, I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good Christian. They're really proud of themselves that they're following their own rules of what it means to be a Christian. I'm following my own standards. I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I should be the standard of Christianity. Well, you know what? Just like in disc golf, you don't make up your own rules in disc golf and say that you're playing disc golf. And if you did, you know, if I made up my own rules, my, my scores would be a whole lot better. That's for sure. But then what well, right would I say, you know, have saying I'm playing disc golf? So it's the same with Christianity. I mean, if I'm just going to set up my own standards, I'm going to set up my own rules. What, what right do I have to say that I'm actually a Christian or I'm following Christianity? I mean, who's the one that sets the standard? Who's the one that sets the rules? Who's the one that gave us the instructions of what it meant to be a Christian? It's Jesus. It's Christ. He's the one that says, okay, salvation is about this, and discipleship is about this, and ministry is about this, and service is about this. Jesus Christ is the one that sets up the standard for Christianity. And so if we want to call ourselves Christians, we conform ourselves to what Christ says. And we don't just kind of follow whatever idea pops into our own head or whatever we think makes us feel comfortable. Christ is the one who tells us what it means to be a Christian. Not us. We're not the, we're, we are not the standard bearers. We're not the standard makers, I guess we should say. And so what I want us to do today is to, to lead us and to encourage us to conform ourselves to Christ's definition of Christianity and not our own. And so we're going to take this bit by bit, section by section, and we're going to learn some lessons of what Christ has to say about what Christianity is all about. This is Christianity according to Christ. So what is Christianity according to Christ? Well, number one lesson I want to talk about today is that Christianity involves life surrender, not rule keeping, not checking off boxes. It's about life surrender. And so in Mark 10, let's first look at verses 17 through 22. And this is what it says. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, before Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now this section we know as the, you know, the rich young ruler, we call it because, you know, each of 
each of the, the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, has a version of this. And, and we find out that this guy, he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler of some sort. And, and he wants to know, what do you do to inherit eternal life? What do you do to be saved? How do you get into heaven? How do you get into the good graces of God? And he comes into this discussion with a preconceived notion. He, he's looking for a specific answer. And he wants Jesus to give him that specific answer of what it should be. You know, really, he's, he's acting like he's sincere, and he might actually think that he's sincere. Oh, yeah, I really want to know what, what it takes to inherit eternal life. But, but his ears are closed to anything else other than what he wants to hear. Because you, you can tell by the way that he worded his question what his preconceived notions are. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Give me something to do. Jesus, tell me the, the, the boxes that I need to check in order to inherit eternal life. And then, you know, nothing, anything else that's outside of those boxes I can, do with, I can do whatever I want. I want to live the way that I want, but I still want to go to heaven, and so give me these boxes to check. Give me the rules to keep, so to speak, so then I can be comfortable with my life doing my own thing. Well, well Jesus meets him where he's at. Jesus begins where, from the angle that, that this rich young ruler is coming from. And so Jesus says, all right, and he, he lists the, well, it's commandments 4 through 10 of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, do these things and, and inherit eternal life. Now, now, don't think for one second that Jesus is saying that following the commandments is going to get you in, into heaven. Or that following the commandments makes you a Christian. Jesus is starting at that point, try, trying to make a point uh, to this guy so that he can lead this rich young man, this rich young ruler, to the truth. And so he starts there. All right, sure, honor your father and mother. Don't steal, don't kill, don't murder, things like that. And, and boy, the rich young ruler, he gets excited. That is exactly what he wanted to hear. There's my check boxes. And he says, Jesus, I have been following those things since my bar mitzvah. I mean, that's what I did since I was young since I became a child of the law. I've been following those things since my bar mitzvah. But the problem is the rich young ruler has a, a wrong idea of what it means to follow those laws, to follow the commandments. Because he may have followed the letter of the law in the fact that he never physically committed adultery, he never physically murdered someone, but if you remember from the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, no, this is a heart thing. If you lust after someone, you've committed adultery. If you are angry at someone, you have committed murder and, and things like that. And so the, the rich young ruler had a problem with what it meant to follow those commandments. And so here's where Jesus changes the conversation. I mean, he's, he's point, by changing the conversation, he's pointing out the, the rich young ruler's wrong angles. He's pointing out where this guy's going wrong. I mean, first... He actually hasn't followed the commandments that he thinks he has. Second, no one can keep these commandments because of the sinful nature that everyone has. And, and you know, we, we find out in the epistle of James that if you break one commandment, you break them all. And third, having a relationship with God is not about checking off boxes. 
Okay, I have a relationship with God. I can go do what I want now. I mean, it's not about the rule following per se. Because, you know, Paul tells us in Romans and, and elsewhere that the law, the rules, they show us where we go wrong, but they can't make us right. They can't bring us closer to God. And so he says, okay, this is what Christianity is about. And, and Jesus tells him, and Jesus tells him the truth. And, and I, I love the way that it's put here in Mark, because it, it says in, in verse 21 that Jesus loved him. You know, Jesus wasn't annoyed by him. Jesus wasn't re getting really mad just because he knew where the, the guy was what the guy was thinking and where he was coming from. He loved him. And so he, Jesus wasn't going to give him some sort of arbitrary rules. And, uh, you know, Jesus wasn't going to try and be some cosmic killjoy. He was gonna, just going to tell him the truth. If you love someone, you're going to tell them the truth. And so he's got to tell this, he's going to tell this rich young ruler the reality about his life and the truth about what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means to have eternal life, what it is best for him. And so he gives him something that's specific to his life, but its principles reach out to everyone's situation. So... I know everyone is holding their breath. Okay, is the preacher going to tell us we got to sell everything and give to the poor? No, but that's what he needed to do. But the principle behind it is something that we need to learn. So in Jesus' response, he gives five or six commands. It depends on what translation you're using and the Greek manuscript that it uses. There's five or six command words that are given in the instructions, imperatives. And it's pointing toward a, a life surrender to Jesus. It, it's not about checking boxes. Really, it's about surrend it is about surrendering all. It's about surrendering control of all. And so maybe to, to um, understand this life surrender, I can break these command words into two groups. So the first three commands that he gives this rich young ruler, he says, go sell, give. Go, sell, give. These words can be summarized as the word abandon. You can write the word abandon down. Abandon. True Christianity means that we abandon ourselves and we abandon our, our rights for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Because here's the thing, this man's hope was in his riches. I'm rich, I'm blessed of God, I follow the rules, I'm checking off boxes, so I must be going to heaven, I must have eternal life, and I just want confirmation from Jesus. I just want to hear from Jesus that, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. But no, he was clinging to something, and you can't cling to the things of the world and cling to Jesus. I mean, you just can't do it, right? It says in the Gospels, you either serve one master or you serve the other master. You love the one, you hate the other. Look, you can't serve God in the world. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in mammon. You can't, you can't do both. You can't cling for him. You can't cling to your riches and cling to Christ. And so you need to abandon what it is you're clinging to and cling on to Jesus Christ. And, and for us, this could take many forms. 
We need to abandon all our thoughts of leaning on our own goodness. We need to abandon our preconceived notions about what true spirituality is. We need to abandon all the things that we give preference to over Jesus. Uh, you know, we, we need to abandon whatever it is that we trust more than Jesus. We need to abandon all things that make us stumble in sin. We need to abandon all the things that keep us tied to this earth. Preve whatever's preventing us from having a, a, a heavenly, eternal mindset. We need to abandon our dreams that are selfish so that we can give them up for whatever God's will is in Christ. We need to abandon. But not only do we need to abandon, then comes the second set of commands. In the ESV, it's come, follow. If you use the King James or the New King James, maybe the RSV too, but it, there, it says in there, it's take up your cross. And so it's come, take up, and follow. But, but together, whatever words are there, it, it, it means commitment. It means commit. Abandon, and then write down the word commit. Commit yourself to the person and life and teaching and commandments of Jesus Christ. Commit your life to not fulfilling self, but following Jesus. Commit your life to walking with Jesus, learning about Jesus, living with Jesus, loving like Jesus. Make a commitment that Jesus is your all in all, not you. You're not your own all in all. Jesus is your all in all. And so abandon and commit. It is not about checking off boxes. You just give yourself all to, to Christ. I mean, it's not very loving or relational if it's, if it's based on checking off boxes. I mean, in, in a marriage, for a marriage to work, it's not about, okay, checking off the boxes of whatever, you know, your spouse's rules are or whatever. Okay, I'm just going to follow my sp spouse's rules to a T, but it's going to be cold-hearted and it's going to be like a robot. It's going to be mechanical. There's no emotions to it. I mean, that, that, that does not make for a good marriage. What, it's about, what marriage is is about giving your life over to the other person. You're abandoning your will. You're abandoning yourself to them and you're committing yourself to them, right? Until death do us part. And so it's the same with Christianity. It's not about being a robot. It's not about cold mechanical rule following. It's about a surrendered relationship to Jesus Christ. Abandon ourselves and commit ourselves. But the rich young ruler didn't want any part of that. So he walked away sad. He wanted some check box, boxes to check. He wanted rules. But he didn't want to abandon his life and commit it to Jesus Christ. And so he chose riches rather than Jesus. And he has eternally paid the price for his choice. And so Christ wanted to make sure he understood and make sure that we understand it's not about those checkboxes. It's about abandonment. It's about committing yourself to Christ. It is about surrendering your life to him. But then secondly, Christianity involves following God's expectations, not man's expectations. It's not about what I'm expecting, what I think, how I think things should be, and how the, it, it's not how I think, according to the way the world works, that this is the way Christianity should be. It's about what God says and what he has revealed. 
And, and, and so it's not about my expectations, not about your expectations, it's about God's expectations. Look at verses 23 through 27. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and, and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So Jesus says, I mean, it's near impossible for a rich man like that rich young ruler to enter into heaven. Say, what? That blows their mind. Because, because of the culture of the day. The Jews of the day saw riches as an indication that you, you were right with God. You, you had God's favor. You, you're being rewarded. You must be a righteous person if you're rich because God rewarded you like that. I mean, if God's going to reward you with riches and blessing if you're a righteous person. I mean, that's why the religious leaders of the day were rich and they kind of flaunted it. And so that was kind of the thinking. That was the rule. That was, well, if you're rich, you must be blessed of God. No, that, that's, not, that's not it at all because that's man's expectation. God has different expectations. God has revealed something, something different. So to make sure they understand his point, he says, honestly, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. Now, there's, you know, you may have read some study Bibles or commentaries or whatever where these scholars, they try and, and soften the blow. Well, you know, it's talking about this gate in Jerusalem, blah, 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 blah. No. Jesus is talking about a literal camel, animal, going through a little needle. A literal needle. I mean, you're sewing needle. It means exactly what it says. There's no way a camel on its own is going to get through a needle. Exactly. That's the point. So when Jesus says it is that difficult for the rich to get into heaven, I mean, he, he's... He's turning expectations on its head. I, I mean, how the rich are privileged. They must be blessed by God. I mean, this, this betrays everything they thought about how God blesses. It betrays on how you get blessed. It, it betrays the, this whole notion that it's all about man's efforts and man's standing. Because that was the expectation. It's all about your effort and your standing and, you know, how, how high and famous and rich and whatever you are, you are in life. And, I mean, things haven't changed much in our day because, you know, we have the American dream and we have American ingenuity. It's natural for us to think that, okay, God is going to reward hard work. We work hard. God is going to bless me this, that, the, the other way, Right? And, and some people will go so far as to say, well, I mean, if I, if I work hard and I do all the, these things, then God is going to get me into heaven, right? That's how, how it works. My hard work, my effort gets me there. I do good things. I do spiritual things. I go to church here and there. So God's going to re reward me with heaven. 
I haven't killed anyone. God's going to reward me with, with heaven. And so being rich and, and effort and things like that, that gets you into heaven. But wait, Jesus says no. And so the disciples are like, wait, if the rich can't get into heaven, who can be saved? And so, you know, Jesus is answering their question. If you rely on man, if you rely on man's efforts, if, you're, if you rely on man's self-sufficiency, if you rely on man's status... It's impossible to be a Christian. It's impossible to get to heaven. It's impossible to have a relationship with God. But what is impossible for man to accomplish by themselves, God made possible by his grace through Jesus' death. What's impossible for man is possible with God. All things are possible with God. Now, you want, you want to talk about the mo one of the most misquoted verses in all of scripture oh i can't seem to pass this test but what's impossible for man is possible with god all things are possible with god oh i, I can't i i can't meet my, my my budget this month but what's impossible for man is possible with god all things are possible with god i really want that car and what's impossible for man is possible with god all things are possible with god no that's not what the verse means in its context. Stop taking this verse out of context and trying to use it on your own desires and wants and dreams and, and stuff. I mean, yeah, the impossible is possible with God, but don't rip it out of here from what it means. It's impossible for man to save himself. It's impossible for man to reach God by himself. <coughs> but what's See, I can't get excited yet. I got to sl slow down. <coughs> but what's impossible with man is possible with God. That means salvation comes from God. And to make the point, <coughs> excuse me, th this passage is bookended by two other passages, so we've got to look at it within its context. Before this passage is the episode of, of people trying to bring kids to Jesus. And, you know, the disciples try and shoo them away, and, and Jesus is like, no, don't shoo them away. And he brings a child in their midst and, and uses, uses the child as an example of true Christianity. Unless you come to Jesus like this child, you're never going to see heaven. Children can do nothing to earn their keep. All they can do is trust. That is God's expectation. Different from man's expectation, which is all about status and doing and, and things like that. So there's that. But then after the passage, Jesus for a third time in, in this particular gospel, he prophesies his death, burial, and resurrection. So it's like bookends. God points out in context, there's nothing we can do. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. Because God gave Jesus. And Jesus has done it all for us. And all we can do is trust. That goes against our expectations of what Christianity is all about. It goes against the status. It goes against the checking off the boxes. It's, it goes against, hey, I'm going to earn my keep and things like that. I mean, it blows the expectations away. I mean, I don't know if you've ever started a new job and you've, you know, you go into this new job with certain expectations. Oh, it's going to be like this and it's going to be like that. And then, you know, a few months in, a year into your job, you're like, boy, this is not at all what I was expecting. 
you know, that happens in ministry. You go into seminary. It was like about 22 years ago I went into seminary. and Oh, yeah, this is what ministry is all about. And then you get into ministry and it's like, well, no, not really. That's not really what, what it's about at all. Well, people approach Christianity like that. You have certain thoughts. You have certain ideas what Christianity is all about, only to find out, well, you know what? God, the way God does things, his economy, his expectation is a whole lot different than what the world says and what my flesh desires and, and things like that. So my expectations and God's, they don't seem to match. And so here's what you do. You listen to what Jesus says. You ditch your ideas about what you think Christianity ought to be about. And you follow what Jesus says Christianity is all about. It's not about your expectations. It's not what you think things should be. It's about what God has revealed. And God has revealed it is through Jesus Christ. Third, and very quickly, Christianity involves eternal rewards, not earthly rewards. It's about eternal rewards, not earthly rewards. Let's look at verses 28 through 31. It says, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So, so the rich young ruler, he relied on his self-righteousness to be good with God with the idea that it's going to lead to riches and, I, and he can do his own thing. Unfortunately, in our day and age, there, there's false teachers that kind of put the same ideas out there. You know what? If you have enough faith and if you, through enough personal spiritual effort, it's going to lead to earthly riches. It's going to lead to material rewards. But Jesus turns that on his head. Peter, you know, he's the spokesman. He points out, we've abandoned everything for you. And Jesus tells them that whoever truly has abandoned family and wealth for him and for the sake of the gospel is going to get their reward. It's just not going to be the reward that you expect. Because you're going to receive a hundredfold of those things, but again, not the way that you expect. So how in the world do we get a hundredfold of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles and, and all that? It's through the church. It's through the church. If you abandon the safety of biological family, Jesus is going to give you a whole new family. Look around. Here's family. Here's your family. Here's your hundredfold. And, and you know, and it, it reminds me of the response that Jesus gave when, uh, you know, he was teaching and they told him, hey, your family's looking for you. Your mothers and your brothers and sisters are outside looking for you. So what does he say? He said, well, my mothers and brothers and sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it the church it's the assembly it's the assembly of the believers church family can become closer than biological family and through the hospitality of the church you receive houses and mothers and brothers and sisters and and such that is eternal reward that is an eternal reward and and he says that those who abandon their lives for him and commit their lives to him they receive eternal life you believe in jesus and you're committed to jesus you receive eternal life now, he also mentions another reward that we're like, well, okay, that, that's one reward I could do without. But he says persecutions. Here's your reward, persecution. 
Boy, everyone's getting excited about that one, aren't they? Yeah. Persecution. Give me some. I mean, that sounds weird. But you know what? If the world rejected him, it's going to reject, reject us as well. If we're doing the Christianity thing right, the world is going to reject us. If we're doing it right, well, that's, therein, therein lies the problem, isn't it? Well, I don't want to be persecuted, so I'm going to tweak what Christianity means so I'm comfortable and I don't get persecuted. But Jesus said, no, that's not the way it works. It's actually a privilege to be persecuted for Jesus. I mean, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.13, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. I mean, you're going to share in His sufferings, but when you do that, you're going to share in His glory. And His glory is so much better than anything you can find on this earth. So there's your rewards for doing the Christianity thing right. For following Christianity according to Christ. Church family, eternal life, persecution. Those are the rewards. Not new cars, not large homes, not every conceivable toy that's out there. But you know what? If you have those, those are added bonuses. But they're not the rewards of Christianity. They're just added bonuses. We get the rewards as Jesus has defined them, and he says they are eternal and can never be taken away from us. Your car, your home, it can be taken away from you. What you receive through Christ will never be taken away from you. They are eternal. So when you walked into church this morning, I don't know what your expectation was about what this whole Christianity thing was all about. I don't know what rules you set up for yourself so that you think that as long as I check off the boxes, I'm a good Christian. But if your expectations and rules and such don't align with what Scripture has revealed, well, guess what? You need to toss every bit of it out. And you start fresh with a new understanding of what it means to be a Christian, as Jesus himself has given it to us. And so maybe if you're a Christian, you need to come to the altar and abandon your rules and abandon your expectations. Take up his cross and follow him. Maybe you need to have some fire lit under you so that you abandon your life and commit your life to Jesus Christ instead of saying, well, my life is all about me and I'm going to do what I can to live it to the fullest. There may be some here who think all of this is new. Well, I didn't know that's what Christianity was about. I didn't know it was all about Christ. I just thought it was all about being moral, being ethical. I mean, there is the moral and ethical aspect to it, but it's about Jesus Christ. Or maybe you thought, you know, just say a little prayer and I'm in. It, it's about Jesus Christ, and maybe you need to come forward today and abandon your idea of what salvation means, abandon your idea of what it means to get to heaven, and follow what Christ says. You know, something else that, that looking at this that just kind of popped in is Jesus, the way he does things goes against all what, everything that the church growth experts say to do. Because according to the modern church growth experts, they would have been mad because Jesus let this guy go. Here was a guy who wanted to be part of your crew. You didn't have to go and ruin it by telling him the truth. You know, this guy would have been a shoe and, and church membership, just bring them in and you can sort the rest out of it later. Yeah, you know what, it may have made the numbers look good, but the dude wouldn't have been saved. What use is that? 
Yeah, we, we have a thousand, thousand people in our church, but 500 of them have never truly been saved because we just went out there and we just, we just wanted to sign them up. Hey, you want to go to heaven? Fill out this card and get baptized. Last I checked, that wasn't the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So who knows? There, there might be unconverted church members here today. That was you. I walked the Nile. I filled out a card. I got dunked. That. That's not salvation. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is salvation. Make sure things are right with you and Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.